Uh, at Good Hope Church, we have a vision statement. And the neat thing about our vision statement is that we know it and we put it into practice. Right? That's the key. Is It's one thing to have a vision statement. It's another thing to be aware of what it is and to have people actually working towards that instead of wandering off in various different directions. Because leading a congregation... Getting a bunch of Christians to try to work together, it's like herding cats. You know what I mean? Like everybody wants to go a different direction. But when you get everybody working together, it's amazing what can happen. Like with the, uh, the carpet laying yesterday. A whole bunch of people that a lot of them didn't know each other from different churches. Isn't it neat that different churches would want to come and help us uh, put the carpet down? That's really cool. I'm very excited about that. Uh, But a whole bunch of different people that don't know each other, given a clear vision, let's get this carpet down. And then some are putting the glue down, other people are laying squares, other ones are cutting pieces, other people are making food, and other ones are getting coffee ready, and and it's all working together and the job gets done. But if it was just, you know, hey, everybody just do whatever you want to do, then it would have not turned out quite so well. So we need to know why we're here. We need to know what we're doing. Have a clear vision so that we can work together for common goals and see uh, effective work done for the kingdom of God. And so here is our vision statement. Six words and there are hand motions. So I'll give you the words first. If you know them, you can say them. It's reach up, rise up. Reach out. And again, I didn't go to children's church, so I didn't learn hand motions for anything. And so now we get to have hand motions with the vision statement. Plus, I, want, I know you're capable of doing the hand motions. I want to see if your heart is open to actually moving your arms or if you're going to go, forget, I'm not doing that. Because <laughs> if we can't do hand motions together, how can we do the more important things, right? So here we go. Here we go. So it's... Reach up, rise up, and reach out. Oh, you're fantastic people. That was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. (laughs) Amen. All right. Reach up. Here's the catchphrase behind reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. To you, we can actually reach up to God and connect with God. We can do that if we've never known God. Uh, We can ask for forgiveness of sins and we can say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be part of, of your kingdom, part of what you're doing. And God will take all our sins away and give us a right to be his children and bring us in. We have that access to God. We can connect with God for the first time, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. Anyone on this planet can become a child of God by receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. We can reach up for the first time and be brought into the family of God. But it doesn't stop there. We have to continue our relationship with God. We can't just, you know have our one little sinner's prayer experience and then we're done, 
We have to continue to grow. We have to continue to reach up to God. We have to continue that relationship. It's vitally, vitally important. And sadly, many people miss that connection with God. Even church people miss that connection with God. It's a dangerous thing because if we're not connected with God and we're the people who show up for church... How are people outside going to be able to be shown how this all works? We need to be the ones that are the most connected with God. We need to build that relationship with God intentionally. We have to reach up and grab hold of our relationship with God. Now, people can serve the wrong things. People can serve the wrong things and not end up serving God, right? Like you can serve money. I'm sure we've all been tempted with that one. You know, like, why do you get up at the time you get up? Because of money. Why do you do what you do all day long? Because of money. You know, what do you think about how to get money? You know, like, you can, you can order your life around money, and then money is, is your direction. It's your authority that's over you. It's your higher power that's controlling your life is money. And money is a bad God. Because money will never, ever love you back. Money does not care about you. Money, here's here's the deal with money. I heard somebody say this and I thought it was fantastic. Money makes a great servant, but an evil master. Money's a great servant, right? If we want carpet, money can get carpet for us. What a great servant. You know, we want the snow plowed. Money can do that. Money makes a great servant, but an evil master, because money does not love you. We have to keep money below us. We have to control money, not let money control us. And so we, we realize that there are things that we can put in the place of God that aren't God, and some of those things are obvious, like money, But there are other things that can rob us of our relationship with God that are more subtle and more uh, difficult to see. And so let's talk about some of those this morning because we don't want to miss God because of these subtle things. The first one is we can have a personal relationship with church and not have a personal relationship with God. Did you know that was possible? You can have a personal relationship with church. I show up for church at this time. I get my coffee. These people say nice things to me. And I listen to the music. And you can have a personal relationship with church, but not a personal relationship with God. Church is great. You know, like I'm all for church. (laughs) I'm a church planter, you know. uh, And... I like church, but church is not a good substitute for God. The church is the the vehicle that we use to serve God together with. The church is not God. We can't substitute a personal relationship with church for a personal relationship with God. We also can't substitute a personal relationship with God with a personal relationship with religious ideas, with a particular theology 
or a particular legalistic way of doing things or a, a particular style or whatever the case may be. We don't want to sub- substitute a relationship with God by having a relationship with religious ideas. And you can think, well, I have these religious ideas, so I must have a relationship with God. Well, not necessarily. You might just be thinking thoughts that somebody else told you, and what difference does that make? You know, my wife and I, we had a, 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 an unfortunate experience when we got married, and that was that we didn't know each other very well. But we thought we did. And what the bummer deal was, especially my wife, because she's a romantic, you know, And so she would uh, think to herself, the perfect husband would be like this. And then she just sort of like set that on me and thought that's who she was marrying. But I wasn't like that. And that was a really unfortunate thing. So she found out that she married... uh, her imagination, or she thought she did, but the reality was it was just me, (laughs) you know, which was very disappointing to her when we finally figured it all out, but it's gotten better, it's gotten better now, but see, she had a relationship with ideas in her head, her expectations of who her husband would be, and we can have a relationship with our expectations about who God should be, and our ideas about God, but we've never really made that connection with the living God. And that's not a good relationship. That is pretty close to having a relationship with an imaginary friend. And that's dangerous. We don't want to be there, right? Just because God is real doesn't mean you've made that connection. You can have a relationship with a pastor or a, a personality in ministry, something like that. Like, oh, I really like Pastor Mike, or I really like Pastor Larry, or, you know, Pastor Vicky down in the, the children's church, she's awesome. You can have a relationship with a personality or a person. That's not God. That's not a good substitute for a personal relationship with God. You can even have a relationship with serving. You know what I mean? Like, I am a preacher guy. I've seen and I've experienced ebbs and flows in my own personal relationship with God while being the preacher guy. You can be so busy being the preacher guy and so busy coordinating church things and doing all that stuff that your relationship with God starts to to fade. And you can have a personal relationship with the way that you serve God. I'm a youth leader. I'm on the worship team. And you have a personal relationship with that way of serving, but your experience with God has faded into the distance. Those are all things that are good. Church is good. Religious ideas, if they're accurate, are good. Uh, you know, personalities that are, those are good. Serving God is good. They're just terrible substitutes for a real relationship with the living God. And so how do we have a real relationship with the living God? There's an amazing scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read three verses, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. 
So we have a high priest. This is Jesus. And Jesus, our high priest, was here and he knows what it's like to be here. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to have a dear friend die and have to go on. He knows what it's like to be one of us so he can sympathize with what we're going through and he can say, no, Father, don't hold that against Mike. He's going through something hard right now. Give him some, give him some grace. Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And here's the amazing verse. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You may have heard this verse, go boldly before the throne of grace. Go boldly. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. What is this talking about? Now, in chapter 4 of Hebrews, the main concept is the Sabbath. And that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the idea behind the Sabbath is, I'm going to set aside all the busyness of life, all my worries and struggles. I'm going to set that aside for a period of time and work on my relationship with God. I'm going to set time aside for God. If you're a husband, you need to set time aside for your wife. right? You don't just think thoughts in your head like, my wife exists and continue about your business. You have to set time aside and build that relationship. And the idea behind the Sabbath is, I'm going to rest from all the stuff I'm dealing with in my life, and I'm just going to spend time with God. I'm going to dedicate time to building my relationship with God. And in the midst of that transition from Old Testament law into New Testament, and understanding how this Sabbath thing works, these verses are in here, and look at this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And as I was going through this, it reminded me of the mercy seat. And I thought, I wonder if this is a reference to the mercy seat, the the fulfillment of that from the Old Testament into the New. And so I read a few commentaries and they seem to agree with the idea that this is a reference to the mercy seat. And let me tell you about the mercy seat. So the Ark of the Covenant... You know, it was that box, and, and, and it was where the presence of God was. And there was a lid on it that had two, like, angel figures, cherubim, and that lid was called the mercy seat. And between the two angels was the presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go in once a year and ask for forgiveness for the nation. And so here it says that we can approach the throne of grace. That we can go in 
to the Holy of Holies. Because you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that the Holy of Holies was no longer bound inside the temple, but the Holy of Holies was released out into the world. And so now we can individually go into the Holy of Holies. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have Jesus as our high priest who makes us clean and worthy to be able to approach the presence of God. In our circles, we don't have like holy articles and stuff. You know what I mean? Like like I've got a music stand and a coffee. You know, we don't have fancy things. And so I was thinking, what's holy about casual church? You know what I'm saying? Because I went to a Catholic church one time, years ago, because I worked at a group home, and the person I was working with could go to Catholic church, so I took the person to Catholic church. And it was, like, amazing. The architecture was incredible, and it was just like, you walk in that place, and you're like, this is a this is a special place. Something's going on here, you know. Like, and and it was a holy place, and it was meant to be a holy place. But we don't really do that, you know. I mean, it's different. So what what's holy about the way we do it? And I thought, well, we we have holy moments. You know, we have holy times with God. We have holy times in worship. We have holy times in prayer. We have holy things going on in the inside of us. And that's what this is describing. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can go into the holy of holies in our heart, in our relationship with God. And nobody gets to see that from the outside. You can be in the same song service. One person can be approaching the throne of grace. Another person can be waiting for a song they like better. You can have completely different experiences at the same time. But we can go boldly before the throne of grace. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is accessible to every one of us. Don't miss it because you go to church so you figure you're good. Don't miss it because, well, I volunteer with the youth group so I guess I'm good. Approach the throne of grace and it has to happen in here. I can't do it for you, but it's available to everyone. Reach up. Rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. So a real relationship with the living God is available to you. And a real relationship with the living God will change you. If you enter into the holy of holies, if you experience that relationship with God, it will change who you are. I've experienced that. Of course, many of us have experienced that, but it's true. God, when we connect with Him, He will change us. And this is a big deal for Good Hope Church. We want to get better at being Christians. 
That's a big deal. If you're going to be a Christian, you might as well get good at it because it's very painful and frustrating being a Christian who's bad at being a Christian. It's a painful life because you're constantly disappointed. The Holy Spirit in you will always be gnawing at you like that's not right. and You're just always dealing with that junk and it's a hard place to be. Plus, you don't get to walk in the victory that we have in Christ because if you're falling down, you get bloody noses instead of victory. And so we want to get good at it. Not that we end up being perfect, but man, we can make progress. So let's rise up. Let's get good at this. Don't strive to be the worst Christian you can possibly be and still go to heaven. Lots of people are like that. You know, well, but how bad at this can I be and still go to heaven? I mean, they don't say it like that, but they want to know, do I really have to go to church? Do I really have to pray? Do I really have to learn what the Bible has to say and put it into practice? I mean, isn't it good enough for me just to continue along my road of pain and suffering and sort of Ask God for forgiveness every, periodically and then I get to go to heaven, right? I can, still, I can still have this life of pain and go to heaven, right? Let's get good at it. If we are the light of the world, we need to be good at being Christians. And it's a better life anyway. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the big lies of the devil is if, you know, you want God for your afterlife, but give this life to me is what the devil will say because I'm way more fun. But that's just a lie. He's a bringer of pain. He's, it's like, you know, the walleye looking at the nightcrawler and going, well, that's a nice looking nightcrawler. Yeah, but you don't see the hook in it. It smells nice, but there's a hook. The devil always has a hook in the bait. Don't think that he doesn't. He's mean that way. So we want to rise up. We want to get better. We want to make progress. We want to uh, empower people. One of the concepts behind how we do church, you know, there's different models of church. And I've only studied this a little bit. I go to conferences again, like I mentioned. And they tell me things, and sometimes I pay attention, and sometimes I don't. But one of the things that they say, because it's important not to always pay attention, because then the pastor shows up after being at a conference and changes everything, you know, like, and it's a disaster. So we don't want to do that. We want to have consistency. And so I, I eat the hay and spit out the sticks, as they say. They talk about like attractional models and things like that. Attractional model of churches do a fantastic service that people will want to come to. That's attractional. You know, as opposed to, say, going out into the community and trying to reach people like a relational model, like Young Life, for example, would be relational. Let's go to them and reach them. So that's a relational model. There would also be like traditional model, which is here's how we do it. You know, granddad was this, dad was this, you're this, your kids will be this, your grandkids will be this, this is the rule, here you go, traditional model. You know, that's how, how we grab hold of it. At Good Hope, I haven't heard people use this as a, a model, but it's what I think it is, is we have an empowerment model. We want, I want each one of us in this place to rise up into our full potential in Christ. If we all do that, the kingdom of God will advance. If the problem is that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, then we need more workers, and that's rise up. That's get better. That's get good at being a Christian. Then there are more workers in the harvest field. So that's the answer there. We want to rise up. 
Let's do step versus jump. This is fun. Okay, so let's say I want to raise the bar in my life and I want it to be here. But I'm here. I can do this. Check this out. So I want to be here. I can do this. Oh, there I was. Wasn't that nice? Did you see I was this tall? I was right there. I'm going to do it again. Whoa. Ah, there you go. I can keep doing that. And I'll get, eventually I'll get tired and I might even get discouraged because somebody might think of me as this, but then they see me here. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm here. And that's a jump. But this is way better. Let me show you something. See how much easier that is? Huh. Now what in the world am I talking about? Right? Because what, what is he doing? Okay, so let's say I want to be a better husband. I can buy my wife something she really likes. See, I did something nice. But then now we're back to our same old thing. I can say the heartfelt, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that I'm who I am. But I'm still me. And then, and then here we are. Or I can learn how to be a better husband. And here I am. I can do the same thing with parenting. Oh man, I've been blowing it. I'm going to get him a, the best Christmas present ever. He likes me now. But then back to the same old thing. Or I can learn to be a good parent. And we can do the same thing with our relationship with God. Man, did I throw a lot in the building fund? Or <laughs> whatever. We can do that as a church. Giving away free turkeys on Sunday. Or we can learn to be better at serving God. We can grow in our faith. And then here we are. This is where we want to rise up into being better at serving the Lord. If I do that a couple more times, I have to call 911. Not sure if he's slain the spirit or having a heart attack, but he's down. Better get over here. All right. Let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It's good stuff. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This will keep you busy for the rest of your life. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Jesus has called you into a new life. Jesus has paid the price for you to walk in newness of life. Be worthy of Jesus dying for you on the cross so that you could be a child of God. Be worthy of that. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So, as we rise up, we rise up out of the mess that we're in into something new. We rise up out of pride into being completely humble. We rise up out of being violent and speaking 
harsh words and speaking death into being gentle. We rise up out of being judgmental and critical of others into bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We rise up out of dissensions and factions into the body of Christ. We rise up out of the mess into who God has called us to be. Reach up, rise up, and reach out. So a real relationship with the living God is available to you. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And a real relationship with the living God will call you to action. Reach out. You can put that one down. Rise up out of complacency into service to your Lord. A real relationship with the living God will call you to action. Now, I don't fully understand believer complacency. I, you know, I don't really get it. How can you believe that there is a God who loves everyone on this planet, who has made provision for everyone to have everlasting life, has made provision for each one of us to conquer our demons, to be set free from the the chains that hold us down, to be brought into a life of victory and strength and peace on the inside and say, nah, whatever, I'm just going to deal with my own. Who's that selfish? I don't think there is anybody that selfish. I don't think it's possible. I think there's got to be other things at play. Like, I mean, I understand sometimes people, they step out and they try to serve God and it doesn't work. And then they back off and they're like, I don't even know what to do. Or they get burned out. You know, the classic, you have to volunteer for everything because nobody else is. And then finally you just decide, I think I'm going to die. And so you stop. There's all these things that, that create complacency. But again, I don't fully understand that. But let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll talk about serving God, joining into the fight. Some of these verses we've read uh, a few weeks ago with regards to letting our light shine, becoming all things to all people, so that by all means we may save some. Verse 19, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Is it going slow? To those not under the law... To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. You know, this is terminology, phraseology that we wouldn't use in in polite Christian culture. But it's in the Bible. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I'm going to go save some. Well, God saves. Jesus saves. Well, yeah, and Paul understands that. But he also understood that he had a role to play. He understood that if he came and shared the gospel with people, that some of them would receive it. And it's true for us as well. False humility and humility are not the same thing. Verse 23. I do this, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's do it. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, let me say, some people uh, are thinking that Paul is, is worried about losing his salvation. I don't think that's the case at all in this particular verse. There's a difference between gifts and rewards. There is a gift that God gives us, and that is salvation. We don't earn that. We simply receive that. However, there are also rewards. You can store up for yourself treasures in heaven. If you don't store up for yourself any treasures in heaven, you can still be saved, but you won't have treasures in heaven. Or you can store up for yourself a bunch of treasures in heaven. You can get lots of rewards. And I think that's what Paul is talking about. He's wanting to win the race. He's wanting to to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's wanting to, to receive whatever that stuff is. I don't even know what it is, but I know it's there. And it'll be good. But he doesn't want to be disqualified for the prize. Let's go back to verse 26. Because this is my favorite picture of reaching out. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Anybody ever shadow box? Give me a, give me a hand. Shadow box. There we go. Come on. Last night, zero. No, I'm, I'm like out here all by myself. You know, no one raised their hand. How can you not walk by? You see your shadow. Don't you just want to? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't not do that. So I was amazed that there was no shadow boxers in the crowd last night. Um, but let me ask you this. Are you ever going to get hit back when you're shadow boxing? No. And here's the deal with reaching out. We can... In very safe environments, shadow box, and feel like we're doing something when we're really not. But if we, if we walk out into a dark world and share the truth of Christ with people, if we give ourselves to serving in children's church or the youth group and we open ourselves up, we're going to be in the front lines of the battle and we'll end up going toe-to-toe with the fight, and we'll get hit too. 
Did you know when you truly enter into service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you get on the front lines and you're not shadow boxing anymore, you're engaging the fight that you will get hit to. And it can be discouraging when you think, but I just love Jesus and now I'm spitting teeth out. Why am I doing that? You know, I thought this was going to... God has a wonderful plan for your life and that wonderful plan is that I get my, my teeth knocked out. Like, I don't like this plan. And, but hey, guess what? Rejoice in the fact that you finally got somewhere where you can be making a difference. If there was no battle to fight, it wouldn't matter. But if you can walk into that and you can go toe-to-toe with the enemy, you can take your lumps, but you can stand in victory, now you're getting something done. And that's who we want to be. Not sitting back and complaining about stuff and acting like we're doing something, but actually stepping into service to the King of Kings. And it has its risks. There are challenges. But when we stand together and encourage one another and pick each other up, We get through it and we get to the victory and we get to walk through this together. And it's glorious and wonderful. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here. As they come up, I've got one final question. Where are you? Of these three pieces of our vision, reach up, rise up, reach out for you to take one more step in serving God which one of these three do you need to grab hold of are you someone who's wondered about connecting with God but never has gotten there you need to reach up even if you've been in church your whole life and you've just been doing what other people have told you and you've you've just been flowing with the culture and and just fitting in reach up Approach the throne of grace with confidence. If you've got stuff that's been pulling you down, you've been jumping, but you haven't been stepping up, you need to rise up and hold your ground. Let God, in His strength, help you up. If we stay connected with God, He will do miracles in us that help us rise up. Or are you at that place where you know you're supposed to step out and do something? It's sitting there, it's waiting for you, but you haven't gone there yet. Where are you? Which one do you need? Let's search our hearts as we pray, and then I'll invite people to come forward to receive personal prayer. Let's pray together first, and then I'll open up the front. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that we can have that relationship with you, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's amazing. Praise you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that you bring us into newness of life, that the old is gone and the new has come. Let us grab hold of that so we're not mired in the old and and held back by our past or held back by our misunderstandings or held back by whatever chains are holding us down but that we can grab hold of the newness of life the the calling you have for us the freedom that is that is in you and lord for those who have 
that burden in their heart of what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to engage the battle. Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage and the strength to step into it, to be able to take those blows from the enemy. But Lord, to know that if they're connected with the body, that we lift each other up, that we encourage one another because we all know what it's like to take our lumps. So Lord, help us search our hearts and step forward in the ways you need us to step forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.